I'm talking about like move off their system and just follow the moon, but know how the moon corresponds with their system so you can do both. Like a lot of what I'm talking about is, is just like, you know, there's a place for it. There's a place for Babylonian astrology. And Babylonian astrology is like signs and the archetypes tied to the signs. Um, but then there's also a place for um, natural astrology, which is what I'm talking about. When you're moving away from the signs, but you're recognizing there's still great significance in understanding the, the mystery of the heavens. It's not, not even a forecast. forecast it's, a, it's an explanation. Mm. Like I'm, it's like more of like a dance. It's a dance. Mm. Like if you've ever seen like something like a really kind of like, how are you doing that? I'm like, this is how it's done. So I teach like a little bit. I talk about it because as soon as you get it, it's self-evident. Where no concrete side is, which is so special and unique about it, is it's pretty much all surrounded by farmland. Except there's this swath of wooded, forested area, um, which which is um, goes through it, which is where no countryside is located. So it's like you're stepping into the Poconos. It's got a, an interesting and unique feel, which you don't would not normally think about Lancaster County if you're familiar with it in its modern sense. you mr mark yeah what's going on uncle mike <laughs> not much not much uh just uh another beautiful day well yeah as of two hours ago i don't know what the weather's been like for you but we had a quite a crappy day today and then all of a sudden as the sun is setting the birds start ch- chirping the clouds roll away so so now today, so now the weather's nice. Yeah, for the last half of the day, yeah. How was your day? It was good. I, I was expecting to wake up and go do some work, but because of the rain, uh, we work outside, so I wasn't able to go and work today. So I just caught up on some, some stuff I needed to get done. Well, that sounds like a. It sounds like a. The weather treated you well. It gave you some grace to take care of some stuff that needs to be done. Mm. Well, and it's funny because I, you know, I don't want to, I have to do odd jobs out of necessity. I have a rent to pay and all that. But, you know, I realize the more time I take away from this pursuit, the the more I really love it. You know, like when I'm, as much as I enjoy learning the the skills the labor the actual like hands-on skills that i'm doing with the labor i'm doing um you know it's not like a meaningless job i I am learning stuff but i just you know as i'm there i'm sort of reminded of like oh wow um dedicating my time 100 percent to this podcast thing there's a certain magic to that that i don't want to risk by doing anything more than the amount of odd jobs I'm doing now. <laughs> gotcha. And so let me ask you this. Did you have, do you, did you carry the same appreciation, uh, when you did not have to, uh, worry about paying rent? Like when you could put a hundred percent of your effort, you didn't need the odd jobs and you put a hundred percent of your effort onto 
all of the podcasting stuff. Yeah, I guess. I mean, it was kind of a rude awakening, I guess. Right. Because right. I did That's have what... a sort of take it for granted kind of mentality for a while. Which is normal, right? I mean, I think that's true for all of us. Like, I mean, that's just like, you know, what, it's a cliche, right? You don't, you don't miss something until it's gone. Mm, right. So, so it's kind of a, it's a cool thing because it, or, you know, this is, this, this benefits you in the fact that it provides, um, it provides, uh, uh, like a little bit of fire, mm. yeah. a little bit of desire, a little bit of movement. So yeah, that's never a bad thing. Yeah, so that's that's what I've been up to. How about you, Mike? Well, let's see. Today I moved into known countryside. Now, is so that I moved out of Baltimore. I moved out of Baltimore, and now I'm in uh, Southern Lancaster County. There's a lot to unpack there, so I'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna rather than I'm gonna let you lead with the questions of your curiosity. How do you spell gnome? Is that like G-N-O-M-E? That is correct. Is there a particular reason why? The, are there little people legends in that area? So gnome countryside is a place. Like it's not like a, like a town. It's a place like it's a, a hey, we're going to go to gnome countryside for this, this uh, um, field trip or something. Uh, it, 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 uh, uh, there's a house here, but... The property which the house is on and how it's supported is it's this it's often the first uh, wooded or forested experience for a lot of children and it's trails and and uh, I'm looking at a, a small ropes course I'm walking around right now so it's it's tailored to like maybe a first grader but a first grader who's never been out in the wilderness before. And, um, I'm, it's been run by, and it's funny, it's run by a guy by the name of, of Richard Humphreys. And he's probably like 83 now, a gnome man. And, um, a complete treasure to the local area because pretty much if you grew up within 50 miles, which I did not, uh, 50 miles of this area, you probably came here on a field trip. And, you know, it's the part of the, the, the shtick, if you will, of coming to Gnome Countryside is, is, is Mr. Rich, as he's known, is dressed up like a gnome. Like, not in a cartoonish way, but exactly how you think a gnome would dress. Like, like he's not like, it's not like going to Disneyland. He's like in, it, I think there may be some pictures of him if you look at him online. And it's a really nice kind of like, educational fun sort of like standard uh, uh, school field trip if you will and he's been doing it for a long time and everyone knows him so I'm here and uh, he needed me to take him out uh, that, that's why we started a little bit late he was like hey yeah, could you drive him because he's blind I mean, his blind is a bat <laughs> And um, and he's not he's not completely blind. He's probably about eighty percent. He's lost eighty percent of his vision. So he does require you know a, a, some assistance. And so he asked if I could give him a ride into town. So I drive his. Uh, he, he hasn't always been blind. So I drive his. Uh, I don't know. Like probably like two thousand Mazda Miata convertible into town, and 
we go to a drugstore and then he takes me to get ice cream. <laughs> and and everywhere we go, like everybody knows him. They come up to him, they're like, Are you Mr. Rich? Are you Rich Humphreys? And they all say the same thing. I went to you when I was in first grade. And he's like, oh, I had fifty kids over today. He literally does. There'll be fifty kids over there over tomorrow as well. And he's just kind of like it's 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 that in itself, and, and I'm just like scratching the, the surface, but uh, in terms of like how how much of an influence this man has had on on so many people in this very kind of like innocent sort of fun way. So so that's kind of cool. Um, but then you cannot be in a in a more in a more um, uh, uh, contrast environment to where I've come where I'm coming from in Baltimore. There's certain ways where it's very similar, um, but there are other ways where it's um, it's almost funny because this is uh, this is Southern Lancaster. So a lot of people, if you're familiar with Lancaster County or the on the East Coast, you probably have a picture in your mind which is going to be like, oh, that's that's rural, you know, that's like you know that's Lancaster, that's where all the farms are, that's where the Amish are. There's a, a degree of truth in that, but I would say you know. I used to do a lot of demographics analysis when I, I used to be a market, uh, a market research consultant for real estate developers. I did the best gig in the world, but <laughs> uh, I had to become really good with demographics. And so I know demographics and, and Lancaster is probably more of like a suburban county. But that being said, where, when the locals here, Lancaster think of like, where is it rural? Like, where is it like backwoods? Where is it like, it's, it's Southern Lancaster. Like that's got that reputation. I'm not saying that's their description, but that's, that's kind of its reputation. Um, and it's literally, we went to the ice cream stand and I was the only person who wasn't a farmer there. <laughs> or maybe like one degree of separation from a farmer. And it was just, I'm just laughing to myself. I mean, just like how, how how fun and funny life can be. Now, when you say farmer, are they visibly, they look like farmers? What do yeah. you mean? <laughs> they have like straw hats on and. No, they got on like, <laughs> like, like work, like, like field work boots and like, right. you know, like the, the t-shirts. And it's like, it's like, oh, if you were going to go and, and create a John Deere commercial and mm. you needed a farmer, like this is what you would do. Right. Right. <laughs> you know, there's, there's a certain, like, just like every, any place you go has a look, like a general look, if you're paying attention to how the people are presented in costume or clothing, you know, like Southern California, you know, that's got a certain look. Miami's got a certain look. Uh, Pacific Northwest, the way people dress have a certain look. Um, and like farmers got a certain kind of look, <laughs> and, and and but this isn't like this isn't a uh, uh, midwestern farm because there's also been there's always the, the Amish influence as well. Mm, because not all farms are, not all farms here are Amish farms. Yeah, I I yeah. really enjoyed being down there. It's it's certainly I mean. Connecticut is rural, but it's it's a different type of rural. You're absolutely right. Every you know, they all everywhere has its own flavor, and uh, this is very unique. Well, I don't think you even went down to to Southern Lancaster. Like when 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 I saw you, at least I mean, we were this, this is a different part. 
Mm. This is a different beast, if you will. Now the very, place, very different. The place I went to south of Millersville, the wall, the wall of of destiny. Would that be yeah. South Lancaster? Uh, or at least have the same appearance? Because that was very. I mean, that was unlike. That any... was just, That was different. Mm. So where you're talking about. So Lancaster County is so. Uh, there's so many different um, presentations of it because the uh, um, prior to prior to all of the Pennsylvania Dutch turning this land into farmland, this was a very I mean as as it is all of the the, the Northeast, but this was a particularly um, like woodland area, mm. and then. They was all turned to farms. So you've got these very, very large swaths of land, which just look very agricultural and farm. Like all of the trees had literally been taken out of the ground. And I try to picture that. I'm like, how did that happen? But I don't know. Like that's what they tell us. That's what happened. But there are these pockets where that hasn't happened, and you can get a sense of like how much of a how much of a woodland this is and it's really hilly here like it's the i was down at a part of the susquehanna river uh last week and i was looking at it and i'm like i've met and it's a part of the susquehanna river which is really hard to um to or it's less less visited and it's unlike anything else so if anyone's listening they're familiar with the susquehanna uh, if you go and you cross reference lock 12 in susquehanna river york county you'll get an idea of what I'm talking about. And this is a part of the river where it is drastically, drastically um, dropping in elevation. So from a human scale, you know, you're, it's not going to look like a waterfall, but when you, when you look at the, like the elevation numbers, like over a, a 15 mile, a 15 mile distance, it drops, you know, I'm going to just kind of ballpark these numbers just to make a point, but it might drop like, 250 or 400, 400 feet of elevation versus like it dropped 400 feet of elevation over 400 miles. So it's like this, this very, very sharp, like drop. And there's all of this weird stuff with the way the, the rocks are and the, and the hills, the mountains that bump up against this incredibly wide river. Like it, it, it's very unusual or uncommon. The part of, of Pennsylvania, which you're ta- or of Lancaster, which you're talking about, where you, you went to the Wall of Destiny, that's close to that. So that is technically in southern Lancaster, I guess you could say that, or at least in the northern part of southern Lancaster, like right on the border. Um, but what you saw has a, very, like, has a different sort of feeling because you're closer to the river. That's what I would say. Mm, right. But. But where Gnome Countryside is, which is so special and unique about it, is it's pretty much all surrounded by farmland, except there's this swath of wooded, forested area, um, which which is um, goes through it, which is where Gnome Countryside is located. So it's like you're stepping into a. You know, I mean, if you're familiar with it, it, it does feel a little like Poconosy, like that. If you're familiar with the Poconos, feels like if, if anyone, um, it's it's got a it's got a, an interesting and unique feel, which you don't would not normally think 
about Lancaster County if you're familiar with it in its modern sense. Hmm. Now, so it's, so it's cool to like be here, and then what? Because we just thought we started our conversation about about you with um with with yeah you didn't work today where you thought you were going to work and then allowed you to go and do some of the 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 podcast work which you do and you, you appreciate it I'm like wow i forgot how much i like this and like it it, it when we talked about that and it, i would say the the bigger point of that conversation was the power of contrasts in terms of like understanding something um you know oh i can compare this to that and now i can appreciate this and that like i mean that's the that's the when they talk about consciousness like you know that's the that's the, the purpose that's the beauty of duality is duality is you're able to understand what something is because when everything is unified it's like well uh, you don't there's no, you can't understand what anything is and sometimes maybe you want to understand what something is and so that's the contrast that's a contrast and so coming from coming from where I was in Baltimore and it was so strange because the view the view on the back porch is one of the finest views I'm going to say now that was the finest view experience I think I've ever had in my life being able to not only the view which we had but then to watch it change from winter into spring like obviously I've seen it go from winter to spring before but never like this like both in terms of the angle and or like the view of what I'm actually looking at, but then also the perspective looking down and then also maybe like being in this point in my life, you know, to have like an appreciation and, uh, of what was going on. So that was amazing. But when you kind of like back out of that and, and human element, it was, you know, it was, it was, it was a stressful environment. Like you cannot be, you, you cannot be, I mean, how, how do I want to say this? It's like, you know, how do you meet that situation? Like in, in every single way, like, like I drive an old car, right? And when you drive an old car, like, it's like you're walking with your grandmother. Like if you're walking with like a frail old woman and, <laughs> and, and, and you don't want her to fall and you're like, okay, okay. Like here's a, here's a, here's a, here's a, here's a, a curve, you know, you're really, you're bringing all this care. So I drive my car like that. Like I carry that like, in and, <laughs> because, you know, that's kind of how it is. And the Baltimore road, like it, I'm just, they're just the, the way in and out to where the house was, it was just pockmarked. It was just, it was just like everything about it was, was there was no relaxation. There was no relaxation. Uh, if you're driving your car with this, with the energy of walking your, your, your grandmother. Um, so that's what I mean. Like there was always something you would be on the porch. The views would be so amazing. Um, the deck, it, it, it's one portion of it. Uh, where I used to go and I, I like to do body work, you know, I, I do yoga and movement and Qigong, like all the different things that are in my practice, like doing it right there, uh, 
You know, my practice has more or less been an evolving thing for 30 years, but I know my practice. And I'm like, I've never felt it like this before. It was because of this view on these decks. With, I mean, they're, they're, they'd be known as it. Yeah, there's, there's no visual box of from I, where the wooded. Hold on a sec. Are you are you moving right now? Are you mo- are you mobile? Because it sounds like it sounds like there's like this like I'm breaking up with you. Like you kind of like uh, you're I, you're in and out. You're in and out. But it sounded like you're you've been walking. So I'm wondering if there was a place you walked to that has less service than where you were before. Uh, I think you're probably spot on. <laughs> All right, does it sound better now? Sounds a little bit better now, yeah. All right. So I was going deep in the canyon. Oh. So, so I'm climbing out. Like, I'm literally walking in the backyard. Like, uh, there's kind of a, a canyon where the water is. So, I mean, this is what known countryside is. It's this, this, this kind of hand-sculpted trail, which this man's been working on for 30 years. His whole family lives in the top mountain. And and it's the antithesis. It it's got a different feel. Like the, what the Baltimore, there's something in Baltimore which is so special. But it comes with like it, it you know it's complex. But this this doesn't quite have that. It doesn't have that 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 thing that really made that so special. Because I don't think any place has that. Um, but there is a lot of natural beauty here. I mean, I, if I wouldn't just be coming from where I would be coming, I'd be like, this is the most, you know, it's, it's uh, one of the more picturesque settings I've, I've been experienced to in the East Coast. But, but nonetheless, like, I mean, it doesn't have any of... It doesn't have any of that added element, which came with like, you know, the broken roads or the helicopters or like gunshots or like all of the stuff, which like fits into another narrative. Like there was never a moment I felt in danger, but that still doesn't tell you that there's like, there's always a lot going on. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny. the The weekend you went to Pittsburgh, Sam Tripoli had a comedy show. I don't remember if I told you or not, but he had a, a comedy show at Magoobie's Comedy Club in Baltimore, and it was funny to hear his <laughs> his commentary on what Baltimore was like. What did he say? Oh, Jesus! Was I wish I brought it up last time because I it was on my mind the last time we spoke. Because that, I mean, that was in April, right? The last weekend of April, I think that was, or at least the beginning of May. So, yeah. So much has happened since then. I, I can't even. I don't yeah. remember. Did, no, generally speaking, did he did he have a positive? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he was very much like, wow. It reminds me of uh, the, you know, the grid, whatever they call that down in L.A. What's that part of L.A. where? Um, skid row skid row right yeah he said it had that kind of vibe to it so <laughs> he's like baltimore is crazy right now people are just doing anything 
he i i would yeah. be i would do no justice to try to paraphrase his his jokes right well well not not i wasn't so much about the jokes but like the, what he generally picked up and 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 i think i've talked about that like about like the lawlessness of it but like um, a, he he did kind of say it was like futuristic outlaw like it's it's on another level <laughs> like road warrior like yeah. it's road warrior outlaw like like there's, there's there's a bit of that like that's not all it is but it's it's funny and it's immensely it's it's probably um what i will take away from that is it was one of the most creative places i've ever been like right. the people the people who were coming through who were coming through the house and for the most part all the people who were coming through they were like from that area from Oh, like if you want to think demographic, the, the widest stretch of demographics as you can imagine, and they're coming through, and there's certain there's a common ground, there's a certain common ground. Like they were calling, otherwise they wouldn't come. Like there's all these. I'm losing you again, stuff. Mike. How about now? Now's a little better, yeah. I didn't move at all. Huh. Like, I've been stationary for at least two minutes. Huh. I've got a higher ground. I'm looking at the, sorry to change subjects, but I'm looking at the uh, Gnome countryside. I punched it in on the map here. And wow, it's like a, it's like a mosaic, the way these, um, you know, fields look. The contrast between green and, and you know, I don't know what year this or what time of year this satellite image was taken, uh, but it's just, it's very striking, like the patterns and just the way, you know, the it's farmland. almost like cubist art. You're talking about like what the farmlands look like, right? Yeah, well, if you just do like yeah. a general maybe zoom out of, uh, right. you know, you get like at least two, three miles width on the screen, and yeah, it's like a mosaic. Yeah. It's beautiful. Yeah, that it, it really is. Are you able to see then in there like the swath of of wooded trees that are like you? If you were to see that mosaic as you described it, the um, in uh, as opposed to looking down at it, that uh, in plan you're looking at it more like in elevation, like you're on the same level looking at it like you're driving in a car. Like it would look very different. It would look like like just like rows of cornfields or wheat fields. It's only from the eagle's eye that you see that really interesting sort of uh, patchwork, mm, which right. shows up. Um, but if you look from there, you can see. Uh, I'm curious if you could see the wooded stretch that yeah. Gnome Country tried. Like it's kind of like cut out in the middle of it. Yeah, it's like the on the north and south side of this little like. It looks like a river with woods all around it, just the way it's shaped. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's kind of where I am right now. So I'm bringing I'm bringing this experience of coming from Baltimore and all of that, and now it's 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 migrated to here. And they both kind of both both experiences both places um just naturally unfolded mm. like in an, in an effortless way are you on the octoraro creek i believe that's the name of the creek 
Octoraro, have you considered the fact that you're in Baltimore for 108 days and now you're on an Octoraro river? There we go, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's kind of funny uh yeah undoubtedly right that's uh um uh so that's kind of like the fun is like seeing how seeing how how all of this is unfolding um there is i can only speak from my what i my actual life experience which is different than reading statistics on like places where statistics are given to you, uh, whether they're like good statistics or bad statistics. Like, you know, when you go with like what you see with your eyes, um, as your primary knowledge of what's going on in the world. Um, so from my perspective, what I've actually seen with my eyes is, uh, there is major, major, like, like growth, and regrowth and something is happening. And I'm talking about like just on the uh, way people are living on earth. Like, you know, there's, there's like, there's a shift, like, and it's not just in like, oh, people are seeing things differently. They're, they're acting differently. Like there's new behaviors. And what I'm talking about are like, you know, generally speaking, yeah, there's a whole bunch of new behaviors. But the new behaviors I'm seeing are immensely, um, like, taking control. Yes. Like, they're like, okay, this is the situation, and this is what I'm going to do. And this is how I'm meeting it. And based upon everything I know, it's like, guess what? Like, like okay, this is where we are. This is what we're going to do. That's the cool thing about Baltimore is that it, I, I joke about it, or maybe I paint it in a one-sided perspective when I say lawlessness, but it also is, there's a freedom there. There's a freedom of expression because a lot of the safety nets, which people would, would use or, 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 or maybe strive towards um, in society, they're not there. So it's like, yeah, you got to take care of yourself. And so uh, that, that encourages a lot of creativity. And I mean that on the most basic level, like creating something new, um, whether that be in, in every capacity. So what I'm saying I'm seeing is like all of this creativity of like, okay, how, how do we live now? Like nothing's going to happen. They're just going to keep telling you like every week they're going to tell you something different. And like the thing they told you, which was certain was going to be the end of it all four weeks ago, that just went away because you're just looking at this thing. And you forgot like about how like six months ago you thought it was another thing that was going to lead to the end. Like that's not really going away. Like maybe it, it's certainly bringing people a certain way, but like at a point you're like, okay, well, I'm just going to stop paying attention to that. I'm going to stop paying attention to that. And then you're like, well, what am I going to do? Like, realistically, what am I going to do? And it is from that positioning, which, which I'm seeing all this change. Well, it certainly, it has to be some sort of record. I don't know how many podcasts have broadcasted from as many locations as we have. So <laughs> certainly a lot of change in scenery. Well, it's, 
Well, I was joking because uh, I, someone made this joke to me, and I didn't even think about it. Um, one of the things which which was going on in the uh, in the Baltimore house was there's just a, a lot of discussion about definitions and the origins of words and like the subtle differences. So um, uh, I forgot even where I was going to go with with, with that. Um, Change in scenery, change in places, the fact oh, that we've so, podcasted. So, so, so we were, I was saying we like to play around with words and word definitions that's been top of mind. And so I was, ta- I was telling a friend of mine that I was driving out here and you and I were talking about, and I guess I've known it for so long that, that I don't think anything about its name, but known countryside. And like, I always think of like, you know, what a gnome looks like, you know, with a with red pointy hat and so forth. Um, but my friend was saying to me, uh, she was like, she, she thought it was like no matter. Ah. And I'm like, huh. Nomad. Huh. <laughs> right? It's like I've never thought about gnome and nomadic before. And if you put it in context, like, you know, what's kind of happening? Like, it's, it's becoming very nomadic for me. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's what has me kind of like laughing. Like life is just, life can be funny. Like, and this, this is, you know, I don't want to go down the details of within, within my personal life, but there's just this, this element of, and a lot, I, and I don't think I'm the only one who's feeling this way. Of like, you know, this this feels like a movie. Like, this is what a movie would look like. If I were to write the movie, this is what it would look like. Like, then I would move here, <laughs> and then this happens, and it's like, and then that. Like, you know, it's it's getting like that, uh, and it's not just me. And I think, and and it seems like the people who are doing the new thing, who are like like really kind of like. Like, regardless of what they're doing, approaching it with the perspective of, like, I'm creating a radical new reality. Like, that is so friggin' stupid. Like, it's, like, it's so boring and stupid that, like, like, I'm just not even going to do that anymore. I'm going to do that. And, um, it's very exciting. What do you mean? What what what's boring? I, I I missed something. The way which they told us to live. Oh yes, Watching yes, the yes, news. yes, yes. What's yes. the what's the next thing? What's the right. next thing? Like <laughs> the you know, drums. like here here's one more. It doesn't matter what you what what type of breadcrumb it is. Like it's like oh this is my next Kardashian breadcrumb. Oh this is my next like uh 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 chrome breadcrumb oh this is my next this breadcrumb like if it's just like breadcrumbing like following along with like whatever kind of like has you hooked on it um and to varying degrees like you know that's what's boring like when you when you realize like like it doesn't scratch the itch Hmm. it's become boring you're like i'm gonna go and do something different well and it, it doesn't have to be big the the name 
the name game kind of, or the name dissection can go a little further too. I mean, you're near Gwyn Falls. Gwyn means blessed in Welsh. It also means white, but blessed would be where I'm kind of focusing. And then you remember when you were first in Baltimore, I was like, oh, do you know anything about this Druid Hill Park? All right. Yeah, yeah I know. What you, yeah, I know Druid Hill Park. I don't know if there was anything that, um, you know, if if you looked into that or why it's named that or anything like that. But I just, yeah, there's just some sort of, uh, you know, magical uh rhyme going on here you know druids now gnomes nomads uh, a blessing you know a wishing you know falls right wishing well wishing falls uh it was um it was there, there's something there's something that's that's happening at the house and um and we talk about we're like you know well, what, what's going on what's going on um and a big part of it has to do you know you, well it has to do with, with the land itself you know what 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 this what this is so that you've got that element but then there's there's also seemingly like a magnetism of of like-minded people are, are people who stand on common ground on some of the most basic truths of being human and how we interact with each other. Uh, and, and a lot of that has to do with, with, with responsibility, like taking full responsibility. And it's, it's, um, It's both mystical and practical at the same sort of time. And that seems to be tied into it. And it's immensely creative. It's immensely creative. Like, like nothing is off the table in terms of possibilities. It's practical. And that's that what I'm describing is, is an energy quality, a texture, if you will. Mm. So you could be... In another state, seemingly, who knows where you'll go next? So, I mean, who knows? I just got here. I can't think about next. But what's definitely going to happen is, like, there's going to be a continued, that feels like a nodal point. And what I'm interested in is I don't think that what's happening in Baltimore is the only place. Like, I think that there's something, like, what's happening in Baltimore and what I experience, I would say, is on a pretty great, like, a big level. Like, if you imagine the amount of energy which was coming through that. Like there's certain things like just like the location, like, like the house and the view. And there's probably like only five houses in, in Baltimore that could even have a view like this, this has. And then to turn that view into something accessible the way like the decking was put down, down the hill. Like it was just, it was just, it was just special. Um, but I don't think Baltimore is the only place that it's happening. I think that's like a similar quality uh, on similar scales, some smaller, some bigger, is happening all over the place. And, and it is beginning to, and that's, that's, that's the, sh the change. At least where I see, in a practical sense, like where it begins to take shape.
Hmm. And that kind of leads me to maybe bring up our previous conversation that we had that was off the air about, you know, this show and how this show is going to evolve. And you were talking about having guests on, not just any guests, not just people you would see on other podcasts, maybe, possibly, but uh, more likely we'll be having folks on that don't fit that traditional role of, of someone you would see on a podcast typically, but rather people who synchronistically appear right through the course of the same way that the topics that we've discussed over the past 20, this is episode 29. So over the past 28 episodes, everything we've talked about has essentially been unplanned, right? We, we never like created a list of things we wanted to tackle. We never said, Oh, we're going to, you know, make sure that we talk about this next week. I mean, there were certain times where things carried over and, and things were of particular interest, but for the most part, this is a pretty, uh, ethereal and maybe, or maybe the other world word I'm trying to think of is ephemeral or is that not the right word, but either way, it's, there's a certain time timeliness about this show and how we interact with the world around us and how that makes its way into this show that I, you know, I feel like if people were to start at episode one, they would kind of go along this journey with us. And, you know, if they tune in in episode 29 or something and they're like, huh, this is, so I, I would say I, I'm sorry to interrupt. So, um, but I, no, I had to do it. Okay. So, um, because I, lo- I, I like to, one of the perspectives I like to frame up reality. And we all do that. That's the whole nature of like being, you know, an individual, or whatever, you know, it's like you've got your individual perspective. That's not a bad thing. Like the bad thing is when you don't realize that, that everyone's got one and everyone's just different. Um, and that's not, so mine does a lot with stories, obviously. Like I like to frame things up in stories. And that's, you don't have to. That's just one of the ways. I guess everything could be thought of as a story, but, but I tend to be a little bit over the top of it. So um, as a story, a framed up reality storyteller sort of perspective, if I were listening, like if I was like, you know, an outsider listening to what we've done and particularly over the last couple of weeks, like, you know, from the, from the Mason to go into Baltimore to like everything that happened there. And now I'm in known countryside. I'm like, wow, that's kind of like an interesting story. And then to go back and to like, let me go and listen to this. Let me go and listen to these earlier episodes with an ear to see if I could see this come. Like, you know, like, being able to go back it's like watching the sixth sense the second time you're like oh of course now that all makes perfect sense that's what that happened um like that's how that, i would think that would be fun i'm not going to do it because i don't listen to anything i definitely don't listen to myself but i think that would be an interesting uh an interesting piece of detective work well I would also opt out of that because I've been a part of all these conversations too, but I could give a shout out to, I mean, 20, 30 people who hit me up consistently and say, 
hey, love what you and Mike are doing. Keep it up. And I think that's because, to your point before about perspective, everybody can gleam a little bit of something that relates to their own life just through, you know, the relatable things we talk about. And it's not always going to be relatable for everybody, but you sort of uh, you sort of recognize how the pattern applies to your own life. But of course, of course, that's half the fun, and that's well, that's that's half that that's half I think half the fun of being like human is like to see to see your story and then to like get lost in it and then to understand it and then to just say like, I don't even care about stories anymore. But like that seemingly is a big part of it. Agreed. Agreed. Um, so what I personally, like as a human being, as like, like a person who's having this experience, I love meeting other people. And I love, I seem to have this, this, this ability. I've noticed, I've noticed, by the response I get from people, it's because it doesn't happen to them every day, is I'm really good at pulling stories out of people. Um, mainly, maybe because I, I frame things up in stories and like I'm asking the questions I want to be told, or part of it is, is like people I, I feel comfortable around me. But nonetheless, I get the best stories out of people. Like just regular folks, people come by and they're like, we're talking and they mention something, and I like, I'm like, all right, I'm going to go down that line because. Uh, you know, I can sniff it out and something amazing always comes out like this. Like, are you serious? That really happened. And, uh, I want to put that on the shelf. Like I've had enough people that, that I've met like in, uh, in my life and you know, they're, they're not looking to be, they're not looking to be like, uh, internet famous, but it's kind of fun to share your story and to be able to go and help pull that out. I want to do that like on the shelf. But then maybe mix it up with some of the other people who we, I wanted at least like 50 50 of people who no one has ever heard of, and maybe people who we know who, who have some degree of platform. Because I think that would be fun too to get something a little bit personal out of people. But um, let's, uh, it's, it's about, it's about, <laughs> this is what was said in, in Baltimore all the time. They're like, uh, it's not about, your net worth, it's about your network and people are better than money. Like this whole sort of idea of like the real currency is like who you know and who you know can count on you and you can count on each other. Mm, like, yeah. there's, like there's this understanding like, like that and like almost like this understanding is like that's just how, that's how human beings are. Like, you know, this isn't special, but we're, but we're serious about it. Um, we may have forgotten you know, we may have been sold that we're not like that, but there's there's a lot of that sort of quality which which is happening, and um, yeah, it's, it's it's seeing how that is going to spread to I think other and other groups. Like it's this is how a large change would happen, like a grassroots, like something's going on. Oh, so we're talking about the show. So, um, so meeting all these people, like, like by bringing them on, like by everyone, like kind of hearing where we are, like it's to add into that sort of connectivity. But then I want to mix that, like still keep like kind of the show, which we already have. Like, I mean, everything is kind of changing. And so this should change as well. Well, yeah, I think the, this sort of movement, I mean, 
I've heard about a couple different podcasters doing these meetups. Greg Carlwood recently did uh, a meetup in Texas with Gordon White. And, uh, you know, did that happen? Yeah. I thought that was next month. Oh, maybe it is next month. I, I almost, I was almost certain that they, that they did it already, but no, maybe not. So yeah, that that's going on. And then there's the, uh, the Grimerica show has been doing this for a couple years now, it seems, uh, the meetups and whatnot, but we've been talking about me and a couple of my podcast friends getting together on a sort of podcast tour across the country. And everyone is saying that. That's what I mean. There is a, there's something happening. This is what it looks like. Right. And to your point about net worth versus network, it's like, that's only possible because of all the awesome, amazing people who are tuning in. Cause what the plan hopefully is, and I know other shows are going to be doing similar things and probably other shows have already done this kind of concept. But the idea is you get, you know, a bunch of events planned in various cities and, and line them up so that, you know, we as podcast hosts, whoever decides to come along the journey on the convoy, uh, you know, we go from city to city and have, you know, maybe a live show, maybe a presentation, maybe just a hangout, you know, whatever we can pull off. And yeah, I think that's, that's kind of the, the decentralized community that we can create with the help exactly. of our own infrastructure this this you know decentralized infrastructure that we have through podcasting and all the various social media and communication services <laughs> so so can, can i can i pause you for a second yeah so what you're describing is exactly what i was just talking about what i was saying was like okay what the thing in Baltimore is exactly what you're talking about on the scale of all, on the podcast host. And I'm saying it's got to be happening in other cities. Like it's happening in wherever there's kind of like a, like a, a quote unquote, a scene, like a connection of, of like-minded people and something is happening. So I mentioned a little bit earlier and what I really liked about Baltimore is like people are like the old way is boring and I want to do something new. Mm. And, and then I also said people are stepping up. And so if you're listening to this and if you're like part of it, like it's, it's like everyone is a part of it. Um, and you need to step into it. Like, how do I become, uh, an active participant as opposed to a passive listener? Like, what do I have to offer? And I'm not saying like to me, I'm just saying like in general with this stuff, which is unfolding and what, what you just said, Mark, like, I didn't realize people were doing that, but that makes so much sense. Like, you know, let's pick a city and have like seven events, like seven different people set it up. Maybe there's an infrastructure, maybe there's not, but there needs to be like, what, what I'm, what I'm seeing is the people with like, let's say a lot of this outward, like fire, like I'm going to go and do this. Like they seem to be getting a lot of attention, but that is not going to, that's not going to sustain without other people and other skills stepping up. People are like, oh, well, maybe I, I don't have this, this, like all of this fire sort of stuff, like the fancy stuff. It's like, no, it's everything. Like small details. People are good with details and planning. Like they need to begin to recognize what's unfolding. And like that's an immensely valuable skill right now. 
like someone who's like able to to see how this is all coming together and like to coordinate people mm. or to coordinate the things that are happening. And that is typically on a personality level, not the person who's going to be like jumping up and down. It's like, Oh, like this is how I'm going to get involved. And I'm just saying like that is that skill set or anything like that, which, which you might be thinking like, Oh, this isn't a value. Like everyone is a piece of the puzzle. Like that's the only way this works. Agreed. Like I mean, everyone, everyone is pulling each other up. Yeah, some of the, some of the biggest help, so far has come from, uh, the audience. Shout out to Brian K. He listens to this show. He was the first guy to say, "Hey, listen, I like your show, but you need to change the audio up this way." You know, like he he's a a podcast uh, producer, and works on the Propaganda Report actually. So it was cool that, you know, he uh, he gave me some advice, and that's just one of many. I mean, uh, just yesterday I was on a call with another listener of this show. His name's TR. He's got his own uh, sort of business as a photographer, and he also works on web development for people. And, you know, he broke it down. He's like, yeah, if I were you, I'd do this, this, and this to your website, you know, and... It's just, you know, on uh, this value for value system, he finds value in this free show we do. And, you know, obviously that was one way he could share some, some of his talent with me and help me, you know, figure all this stuff out. Because as you know, Mike, doing any sort of work on the computer requires a pretty, uh, at least some level of a learning curve to, you know, overcome. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that is true. So, yeah, so true. many people are out there, and, and that's something that, you know, it's one thing to go out and be a researcher and find all kinds of cool information, but there are so many other factors at play, like the folks you were talking to a couple months ago who are building tree houses. I mean, that's that's like a dream of mine to live in a tree house. <laughs> I mean, I mean, the... the in my opinion, in my opinion, it, it, it's just a matter of time. Everyone has to come to the realization that it has to be radically different. Like how people live on earth, mm. like the, the, the social contract that we ha have implied ourselves into what is acceptable for how we live. Like, like there's gotta be a point like, and before everyone goes back to sleep, you know, because we're in the middle of this thing right now. Like, you're like, no, this is just nuts. This is nuts. People should not have to live like this. Like, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll be with the system until we get off the system. But it's all got to it's gotta go away. And the only way it's going to go away is if we all work together. Because the reason the system works is because we are all in competition with one another. Everything. Mm. And it's like, like, we really, like, everyone is fucking down. Like if you're if you're in this world, you're kind of down, all right. Even if you think you're up, you already you, you've already said to yourself like I've got on top of these other people to get safe. Like like that's how it can't work. Like or that's how the other system works. So things have to be radically different. And how that is is like well we'll figure that one out. So I don't necessarily have that solution, but how we're beginning where we're seeing these different changes like. Uh, occurring before our eyes like you know that's a good a good indication of where 
where the radically different way of being can be. Hmm. As for me, as for me, like what I just want to start doing is like talking about the, for lack of a better term, for the, for the, the system, which I use, which I've been talking about for over a year with, with the moon and how that and my notebook system is going to be, is going to be the, um, like it's a technique, which specifically, I mean, I call it, it's the, the divine time technique. It's the process of how you get your mind on the unconscious level of all of like the, 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 the artificial calendar stuff that you don't ever think about. And now you put your mind on something which is more tangible, just so, just for the simple fact that you're not on that old system. Like that's a radical change. The radical change isn't going to happen. Like it'll be cool if something big happens, like in terms of like a new, a new technology or understanding, but it also has to be all of the small little things that change. Um, like that's what I'm going to do. And I'm going to go and I'm going to go and utilize that as a way which I can travel. And I'm going to go and show people. I'm going to teach them that system. And it's in alignment with everything which I've always been talking about. And it's natural and true to me. So that's kind of like Mike's journey. And I'll continue to do all this stuff. And Right? Yeah, and that's kind of where I was hoping uh, to sort of pitch that to you. And you sort of took it already. But that's what I think we're going to start to do with this show is highlight that cycle, the actual moon cycle. And during the podcast, we'll spend some time talking about the positions of the moon and throughout the, you know, course of however many episodes people listen to, they should probably garner a, a greater understanding of where they are in relation to the moon and the sun and the other astral bodies, right? Is that, uh, and then maybe that'll be like the part one and then part two of our conversations will be with a guest. Yeah, we're going to, exactly. We're going to go and we're going to talk what we always do. We're going to kind of like wing it. And we're going to talk about life, how we normally do and see whatever comes out about that. We're going to talk a little bit about what's going on in the heavens. We're going to talk about people who are meeting and we're just going to continue to do the show. But always having this focus on what is, what is unfolding and like this new, this radical new reality. Um, I'm excited about it. And, and, and maybe now might be a, a, a good time to like, just talk a little bit about that. We'll, we'll do a, a switch right now and we will talk a little bit about the moon. Can we talk about that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, first off, I want to tell you, I'm, I'm sitting in this one really nice vantage point on the trail and I'm overlooking a small little waterfall. I've been here ever since I said I stopped moving a couple of minutes ago. So that was maybe I've been here for 30 minutes or so. And I've watched, it's my first time here, particularly at this time, it's dusk, you know. It's 8 o'clock, 8.30 maybe. And I can still see a little bit, but I was able to see, I'm, I don't know if this happens every night because I don't have enough experience, but this cloud of mist appeared out of the blue for a moment and was a really, really enchanting sort of um, uh, a feeling. So <laughs> I just kind of want to share that. So, all right, 
so uh, the 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 real calendar system, like there's a purpose for kind of knowing where you are in the cycle, whatever your culture may be. Uh, and we just have an artificial calendar system, but we can go and understand, we can understand what the artificial calendar system is at least based upon, because it is at least in theory based upon a truth. And so the basis of our calendar is the month, you know, the 12 months. Um, there's, there's not really any marker of the solar other than the fact that, that like, you know, we changed the, the number of the year and we recognize when the equinox and solstices are, but for the most part, the solar really doesn't play a part in the calendar system. What it is, is just like the month after month after month and then the day after day after day. Um, so, but the month is, you know, it can range between, uh, 28 days and 31 days. And the month is based upon the moon, like moon and month. And that kind of makes sense because a lunar cycle, it does vary. Like everyone is different. It, there's no, there's a strange lack of pattern uh, of, of the duration count of the moons. You get 29 days and 28, 30 days and 30 days and 29 and 28, but, but it, it varies as well. Um, but the way that our, the Gregorian calendar and so many of the, and all of the calendars that I've seen um, that also include like maybe the, the solar aspect is um, the month has absolutely nothing to do with the moon. Because in theory, the first of the, every month should be the first, it should be when the new moon is. And so recognizing that recognizing why that that's just like a um you know it's, it's self-evident um based upon looking at how the realm which we find ourselves in exists you, you know everything starts out of like you know invisible and then it, it, it shows itself form to so the moon which is the beginning um and so then the peak of the moon uh so there, there, there are really four phases in the moon uh, cycle if you're watching the moon um you know, you should be able to see and recognize with your own eye, like when there is no moon, the new moon, um, the quarter moon looks different than when it's not the quarter moon, the full moon looks different than when it's not the full moon, and so forth. So there are four natural natural breaks within the, the, the cycle from new moon to new moon, just like in a month, theoretically has four weeks. You can see that sort of similarity. So there's some truth to that. Uh, but when the weeks are based upon what you actually see or the phases are based upon what you actually see, like it's putting your consciousness. Like don't worry about like what it means. It means like you got to put your consciousness somewhere. You're putting it on something which is grounded in a reality because when you're putting it on something which is grounded on just an abstract, it's only true relative to itself. You know, it's floating. And when it's floating, that means that everything you're putting on it is like capable of being influenced. Because that's the reason why everyone lives the way we do is because we're born into it in like a system made to keep you like not grounded in reality. It's meant to keep you grounded in their reality. So, so that's one of the reasons. So that being said, um, I want to say the new moon, so what day is today? Is today Thursday or Wednesday? Today is Thursday the 19th. 
So, okay, so those don't exist. I'm still using this touch point. But I'm trying to think of when, because they still are, like, so strong in even my mind, like touch points. Like, think about days of the week and, and months, but where are uh, days of the week and, and the, the date of the calendar. Um, where I was getting at, I knew that three days ago was when the full moon was. It was four days. So we're four days off the full moon. So we are in the phase the phase between or the time period between the full moon and what's called the last quarter. Okay. Like that's where we are in time right now, me and you talking. Right? And I don't know about the, the wisdom. So that has a certain quality to it, this phase. And whether or not you feel that it's kind of irrelevant, it gives you a point of reference if you want to go and look at your life. And so the, the, the quality of this is, you're going from the brightest disk in the sky, what we're calling the moon, to where it's, it's reducing in energy. So there's kind of, I like to think about it as a going downhill energy, a collapsing energy, which only makes sense because the other expression or other part of it is like when it's growing in, in lightness. And so that would be thought of as like work. You're going uphill. I'm going uphill. You reach the peak, the full the full moon, and then you start going downhill, right? So it's like a relaxation sort of energy. It's like a sine wave. Yeah, that's all it is. It's like an up and down, an up and down, an up and down. Yeah. Um, and so we are, we're, uh, the, if you can think of the sine wave, there's usually an equator that goes through it horizontally, where half of it is above a line and half of the sine wave is below a line, correct? Mm-hmm. Can you you know what I'm you can picture that in your mind the way I'm describing it? Like there's a point in the in the like imagine a sine wave phase where it it goes from let's just being talk a sine more... wave. Let's let's just talk sine wave. Like picture okay. sine wave. Yeah. Like it's a wave, and then usually there's a line that goes through horizontally, like the same direction the sine wave is unfolding, which separates like the top half from the bottom half, like. Half is under the line, half the, half the curve is above the line. It goes down and above, down and above, right? Mm-hmm. Does that make sense, or you can say that? It's making sense. Okay, good. So um, we are in the phase. Like, if you could imagine, like, once, the, once we go beneath uh, that line as it relates to the moon, it's mostly dark. Right now, it's mostly light. So we're in this phase of it's still mostly light and it's collapsing. And so we're relaxing. And so I call that the king phase. You know, I use these kind of Jungian archetypes, but the truth of the matter is it's like you just go look at what's really happening. You don't even need to go and have a story. Um, you just have a recognition. And so the reason I'm bringing that up is like, this is where we are right now. Like, like people, they, they when, we, when I talk about the system, it's not so much of anything you have to do. There's absolutely nothing you have to do. All you have to do is recognize, you know, have awareness. This is where you're putting your mind. Because your mind's going to go somewhere. You might as well go put it in something which is not going to go and further bringing you down, down the, uh, a particular, you know, uh, a pattern. Like this is how you do something radically different. You begin to think about time in a radically different way, in a way that still makes sense. 
still practical. Hmm. Yeah, and it, it it's more of a consistency than the 28 or 30 or 31 variations of the days of the month, you know? It's a practice. It's a practice of just, I mean, I, I'm a big fan of notebooks. And I've noticed that, there's, that, there's, that there's a lot of people who are, and I'm sure, and, and what I'm mostly curious about the people who aren't, and I wonder to myself, I'm like, is it because they don't know the joy of the notebook and they don't really know how to get into it? Or is it like, you know, no, just some people just like notebooks or not. Um, but that being said, uh, there's something immensely real and satisfying about life when it's, when it's looked at and recorded. Like, you don't, you don't have to go any deeper than that. But like, when you, you get in this practice of, of, okay, this is how... I'm, I'm structuring what I'm going to do and I'm doing it. Um, what I'm doing, I know why I'm doing it. Um, and what I mean by that is like, you know, there's, there's a degree of purpose, you know, purpose on how you on or both planning your life, but then also in terms of your life as purpose, like this is what I'm doing and this is why I'm doing it. Um, and something really magical happens. And it's the, the byproduct of doing this. And so that's one of the things which I think is interesting in the show, which is why I kind of like, why, why I'm going down this, this rabbit hole is, um, you know, I, I, I think we've we, we demonstrated in the last 90 days this really divinely aligned, like as soon as one thing goes away, something else steps or falls beneath my feet. And it's my senses, like that is, that is the nature of the realm. That is the nature of the realm. And it's maybe a little bit dramatic with me is because of things like this practice. And so I'm going to go, and, and that's the irony of the whole thing, is I'm going to go and use this practice and teaching it and travel around. And it will continue to allow the same thing to happen again and again and again. Right. And I, I love the idea of recording things in a notebook. I, I have so many notebooks that are just in a box in my closet from just, you know, I mean, I'm sure the box will be much larger in a few years due to the volume of writing I've been doing lately. But yeah, over the past 10 or so years of my life, particularly when I got into doing psychedelics and smoking cannabis as much as I, I was when I was younger, I was very curious to, you know, write down my thoughts in those states of minds to, you know, be able to compare later when I wasn't under that influence right so yeah i i 100 percent with you there i think this podcast serves as a stream of consciousness recording that you know writing depending on how you write you might not always access the same type of thinking that we do when we're just conversating you know uh 
Yeah, there, uh, I want to go back to that point. Remember to go back to the point of stream of consciousness. And so, uh, but before that, um, I want to talk, uh, just mention this. So, um, I'm kind of going, I'm thinking about having this huge Uncle Mike yard sale. I've got a lot of stuff. And so, and I'm thinking that people might want it, but, but that's another topic. But <laughs> because I'm, you know, in that vein, I came across this, this box of all of my old notebooks and uh, you, you get kind of sentimental and I'm looking at them and I don't, I mean, I kind of thumb through them, I guess, whenever I reorganize some of my stuff, but for the most part, they just sit there and I'm, I'm right now, like I told you, I, I'm having this uncle Mike uh, yard sale uh, fantasy. I love yard sales. I'd love to go and, and, and host my own yard sale. Um, but I'm like, what do I do with these notebooks? Like, do I let them go? Do I throw them away? Do I keep them? Like, and it's, I'm being rhetorical, but but I'm finding myself in that in that position right now. Mm. Well, I really, really, really would love to be at the Uncle Mike yard sale. I'll I'll say if you're <laughs> if you're gonna have uh, you know first come first serve, please let me like, know. I got, a, I got a lot of books. I got a lot of art. I got a lot of art supplies. I got a lot of weird stuff. Like not like that weird, but I mean, I don't know. No, no, I've been kind of weird. I've been oh, I've you, been over. My house. I've been over. I've seen some of your things. But yeah. Yeah. No, for sure. I um, that was one of the things that uh, we joked about. Is I was in your boys, the room where your boys would sleep, and there was just a collection of books and. You know, some of them were like what you'd expect a, a boy that age to be reading, but other things were, you know, books that I have, you know, like esoteric, strange books. And you're like, yeah, that's that's what I let my boys look at. You should see what I have upstairs, you know. So <laughs> ever since you said that, I've always been uh, I've always been curious to to see. So I don't know. I'm not asking for any donations, but maybe we could uh, organize a a book trade or something or, or, uh, I don't want to, I don't want to trade. I want a book to get rid of. Like, <laughs> well, I don't, I don't want, want you to have to just ship them all to me, but I'll pay for I'm it. If you... ship them all. I, I'm not going to ship anything. I'm going to go and show you the books and you're going to go through them and you're going to take them away. Like, like uncle Mike's lazy. So it's like, the people... <laughs> you come, but, but like you get the gold, you get the gold, but nonetheless, where is I going to, where... Oh, so, so stream um... of consciousness. So let me ask you this. You, what would you do to, with my notebook? With the notebooks, I'm like, I don't know what to do with them. Do I throw them away? Like, part of me wants to throw them away. And part of me is like, you know what? Oh, my I think, grandchildren may want to read them. Yeah, no, you know, I I had the, I have this same thought, like, wow, because, you know, I just moved into this place, and it's like, wow, I have a lot of junk that I bring everywhere with me every time I've gone from one place to the other. And some of those are boxes of notebooks. And I was going to throw some of them away, but then I had that same thought, you know, keeping a, a record for future people that may not even be born yet, so to speak. And um, then also the other thought I had, maybe you'll like this idea, is to take, uh, you know, the most impactful stuff out of the notebook and then combine the best of into a scrapbook, you know, and maybe even 
uh, collage some of it together. That's sort of what I was thinking, like cut excerpts. Because I did a lot of drawings and things like that as well as, as note-taking. But, yeah, if, if that sounds like something you would... Because then at least you're only carrying around one or two scrapbooks rather than ten notebooks. Huh. <laughs> I'm definitely not doing that. Uh, so I'm finding myself in, okay, this is going to be nice. So uh, the sun has gone down. sun has gone down. And I'm kind of on a ridge, I think. And I'm on a, yeah, the path I think I can see. So I'm doing, uh, this is my first night hike here. I'm doing this out of necessity because I want to be back here when it's pitch dark because I'm not familiar, but it's dark back here. And I'm back. Mm, you want to, I get no, what you're saying, do, with the light window. This live. Yeah. I no, hear you. It, so this, oh, wow. This would be the time, like, when something really strange would happen, right? <laughs> yeah. And we're, and we're recording it. Well, like I'm literally, I'm literally I, I wish I could paint this picture for you. So it is, ah, there's a little bit of, I can't tell if the amb where the ambient light is coming out, but it's, it's pretty dark. I can see with my hand in front of my, my face, extended arm, it's 50%. It's really misty. And I'm going up this steep hill. It's this little, it's this little trail, but it's like a, it's a kid's trail. Like it's not like a date. I don't want to fall over, but still no countryside. <laughs> you know, well, there's farmers. There's there's the apple twitches. Totally, <laughs> an apple twitch. That's that would be, and then also if you talk to. Tony Merkel, he'll tell you there's dog men down there in Pennsylvania. I don't mean to scare you, but I'm not worried about dog men. <laughs> well, it is exciting. It's compelling, but you you ought to narrate because otherwise we're just hearing you breathe and walk. <laughs> All right. So I just read. I reached the top of this ridge. It's still, it's really, really misty. I'm coming up. All right, now I'm starting to see lights of homes. Mr. Rich's house. His house is on the other side of the creek. And up here, I don't know if you heard, I just took a bit of a stumble, but I caught myself before I fell. Is it rocky terrain? Up here it is, yeah. I mean, again, I, I, I don't want to, I don't want to give an inappropriate oh I'm at a fork in the road right now I can't tell if that's a trail or not all right I'm gonna go this way so it, it, this is designed for first grade so <laughs> keep that in mind but it is dark well it is dark yeah I don't think they let them out there in at nighttime so yeah yeah maybe so down this oh my god you can't even believe that this is the most so, so Mr. Rich's house is spectacular. Okay, it, um, I've got a, I've got a, I've got a, I've got a flavor, uh, a liking towards architecture and homes and 
scale and all sorts of stuff like that. And I've been to his house, I don't know, probably like 30 times over the past 10 years. What is that, like three times a year? Yeah, maybe something like that. Like, I mean, that's a lot to know someone. And his house, it, it, it hasn't always been his house. His first house burned down. And that was a house made by hand. And then this house is, um, the. I told you how beloved he was. And when this house burned down, it, like, it broke the heart of, of the county. Like, you know, all of these people came together and did this sort of stuff. And, and he developed a really nice, a really nice relationship with a woman who was the chief architect of, you know, arguably Lancaster's most desirable architecture firm. And she hand, she came up with, you know, what would normally probably be like a very expensive um, a set of drawings. Like she, she designed this beautiful house, knowing Mr. Rich, um, to replace his house, which he loved so much before that burned down. And it is so spectacular in its simplicity. Like it's a very simple house on one level, but it is so amazing. Like it's, it's what you would expect from, from a, a master architect. And so I get asleep in this house and I'm looking at this view right now. So I'm probably, I don't know, maybe, two football fields away in the distance, but it's all wooded area between where I'm standing right now and that house. And I can see, I can see some of the lights inside it and the silhouette of the house that you can't really see. But it has this, like, it's this otherworld quality, like a postcard of like, this is what the perfect life would look like. Like this is a perfect all bark snapshot. And I'm looking at it right now. Huh. And is it, so you know, does it look like it's fit for a gnome? To have like an Irish sort of? An Irish sort of what? Is it like styled like what you would imagine like where a, a gnome folktale setting would be? Looks like a cabin. Okay. A beautiful cabin. Because I went to their website trying to find some pictures, and I found some yeah. pictures of the woods, but none, none of the house. Yeah, I found that interesting too. Yeah, uh, there, there, there are none. I wondered why when I when I I tried to show, I sent that link or the URL to some of my friends because I wanted them to see what it looked like, like the house. But um, just as you said. I see the gnome man. You see him. All right. And this upside down tree. The, the place is spectacular. It's beautiful. Um, and so, yeah, this is um, where I'm going to be out of for... All right, so I don't know if this, all right, this is good. And I'm doing this with you on the phone because I'm crossing something which I'm a little bit questionable being in the dark. A bridge? Yeah. Like a footbridge or like a, like a rope bridge? It's, it's a small little footbridge and it's over 
like kind of a, a um, like it's just it's going across this steep, kind of steep fall rocky with like a creek, like something you wouldn't want to fall into in the dark. Yeah, especially on a, a podcast that's being recorded. Right. <laughs> and so it's like I'm like, where am I even walking? Like, what sort of dog named trap is? I have no idea where I am. <laughs> well, I think I'm supposed to go the other way. Do you I'm remember? I'm lost. <laughs> Oh man, do you remember that uh, stone I found with the painted man on it? Yeah. Tara and I had the same experience when we found that. We were trying to make our way out of this place. And, you know, I, I like to bushwhack, I don't like to follow the trail necessarily. So the sun had set by the time we decided to turn around. And we were like, all right, hold on, trust our senses here. But. Yeah, it is. It is not. Uh, it's a. It's not something that I'm unaccustomed to. It's actually something I. I think you and I are alike. We like to get our sense of an area. And like I remember when we walked into the backyard there at Millersville, you said the same thing. You're like, oh, no, no cell phone lights. Just let your eyes get adjusted to the dark. Yeah. All right, I've I've no idea what this thing is. Like, it, how can I how can I be so lost? Like, I'm so close. You said you saw the lights. Yeah, like I can see. Like I was like, oh, this is oh, this is not <laughs> this is not a good idea. <laughs> well, I'll use I'll use Google Maps to help direct you back. So I theoretically I could take my phone out and like do that light, but I refuse to do that. No, don't do that. Of course not. And I anyone know. listening to the podcast, if you're the type of person to do that, you're on notice. Please stop. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like I, I think this is right. I can't tell some climate is like really steep. What feels steep. It's rocky, but like I don't think this is a trail, and I think I'm going to get on the top of this hill, and I'm going to have to somehow friggin' figure out how to come down. I have no idea how. This is ridiculous, Mark. How well I'm saying right now. No, and it's so close. Oh shit, that's where it is. Okay, oh. all right. I think. Did I, you I get your bearings? Know. I think so. Well. I would say, how far off are you from when you were last backtracking? Do you remember getting to a point and turning back, or are you on some kind of loop course? Uh, I was I was hiking back, or doubling back. Huh. All right. So, all right. So, on the top, and it's dropped in temperature so nice. Okay, so there's this gazebo. And in the middle of the gazebo, is a hollowed out stump. It's probably three and a half feet wide. Like it's a big stump. From a big and tree. It's it's turned into a drum. So it's hollowed out and then stretched across it is is uh, like a rawhide. Hmm. It's tied in and so that's in the that's in the gazebo. So let me. Does it have like roots coming out of it, or? 
Oh, wow. I can hear it. Sounds like a heartbeat. Yeah. yeah. So it was, it was kind of like, so imagine um, maybe three and a half feet high, like waist high to me. And the bottom part, the legs were kind of carved out. It's hollow all the way through. And so it was carved to have four legs. And then there's this, um, as I said, like the, the raw hide starts to cross it. Hmm. There we go. So I take you're not lost anymore now that you've located no, the gazebo? So, yeah, I, there was a moment. There was a moment that it wasn't so much that I was lost. <laughs> it was like, am I going to fall into something? Right. So precarious. Now, I kind of want to go back there. <laughs> Living on the edge? Well, there, there's something kind of fun. Yeah, like this is, this is like, this, this, is, this is a fun edge for me. Because I can't get that hurt, but I could no. get hurt. No, you can make a big splash on the microphone and that'll sound interesting. I don't know how many people have ever fallen into a river live on re recording a podcast. Wow. <laughs> so, so I'm a little bit disappointed that the cell, that the service, the cell service was poor down there because I had fantasy of being able to hold some sessions down there. What, uh, you mean like podcast sessions down there? That or like when I work with people. Yeah. Well, I would say it could we just be, we, we weren't even halfway there. It could just be a gap in in it in uh, that one area. Maybe when you get all the way there, it'll be different. But uh, yeah, well, maybe I should have let you get down there. We could have tested it, but we'll do that next time. Next time. Hey, I told you about that Temple of Baseball book, right? Okay. Well, it came in the mail, and uh, sort of disappointing. Not about anything mystical or. Really, anything besides baseball. I mean, it's sort of like a homage to the great pastime. I'm sure a baseball fan might find it as a sacred text, but uh, not really anything anything outside of the ordinary for what you would expect from a sports book. So I, uh, uh, not disappointed, but I was sort of. Uh, I guess it's poetic. That was interesting. There's a one reference to Aleister Crowley somehow in the book, but um, there's a reference to Aleister Crowley. Yeah, and it's it's disappointing again because it's only like a noted thing, and it says there's a a nut. It's referring to another article where another author takes Crowley and connects him to the miracle of the Mets, Crowley's writings and the way they spoke about the Mets when the Mets were like this miracle team. Right. And they also uh, connected to Hindu texts too. But yeah, it's just this one sentence hmm. about that. And then it moves on to another note, but yeah, it's, you know, he's an essayist. He's sort of an editor too. So it's, I, I think it's really more of a, just one of his many, many books that he's done. I mean, the guy is pretty prolific. He has at least 100 books with his name on it that you can find on uh, various used bookstore sites. But, yeah, there's a couple others that are in the mail that may be more promising. And another one that came, it's called Becoming, Becoming 
Oh, sorry. Bottoming out the universe is what it's called. Bottoming out the universe. Yeah, and I have a I have an interview scheduled with him for June first, Mr. Richard Grossinger. So uh, we'll see. I don't don't think we'll be talking about baseball at all, but uh, definitely interested to to talk with them. So, what was the thing about the Hindu text? It, again, it was sort of like. The Aleister Crowley thing, they they were just saying that another article used in a sort of comparative way Aleister Crowley and Hindu sacred texts to sort of uh, the Mets and the discussion of this miracle team and the time when the Mets were won the Super Bowl or the <laughs> World Series and, and all that. Shall I say that was 1969? Can you check that for me? Let's see. Somewhere, I think it was late 60s. Nineteen sixty nine, yeah. It was nineteen sixty nine. And are you looking at a Wikipedia? Yeah, nineteen sixty nine and nineteen eighty six. Uh, so can you go to the year like the nineteen sixty nine year? Like when they're specifically talking about like what the miracle Mets. Yeah, let me see. Going to the page now, miracle Mets. Yes. Do they? Is there like a one paragraph? I don't want to hear like a lot, but like a one paragraph. Like probably it'll be the first paragraph explain why they're the miracle Mets. I think I know the story, but I want to be refreshed because I want to see where this goes. So it says in 1969, they won the World Series against the Baltimore Orioles uh, at Shea Stadium. They were referred to as the Amazing Mets or the Miracle Mets. No, an obvious one sentence that I find immediately, but give me a second. What what do you... uh, is there anything that comes to mind outside of? No, I wouldn't hear it. Like, there's a story. Why they call the Miracle Mets? They did something that was miraculous so or amazing. So, uh, do they explain why? Well, you said don't read a whole big thing. That's all it is. It's so, like, a is one big, a big Is that a big thing? Like, it's like one was, like, huge a... paragraph explanation. Hold on. Uh, the 1969 season was the first season of divisional play in the major league ba- in Major League Baseball. The Mets were assigned to the newly created National League East Division. Uh, the Mets had never finished higher than ninth place in the 10-team National League and never had a winning season. They lost at least 100 games in five of the seasons. However, they overcame mid-season difficulties while the division leader for much of the season, the Chicago Cubs, suffered a late-season collapse. The Mets finished 162, eight games ahead of the Cubs. The the Mets went on to defeat the National League West champion, the Atlanta Braves, uh, three games to none in the inaugural National League Championship Series, and the Mets went on to defeat the American League champion Baltimore Orioles in five games. So I think the miraculous thing is this had never happened before, you know, this was the first time they were doing, you know, uh, this sort of championship. And the Mets were like the definition of the underdog. So it was a miracle that they won. That That's what I could 
surmise from that first paragraph. I, I think that, that's what I gathered off just from the first paragraph. Yeah. But well, I'm I'm thinking there'd be more because I I, I didn't realize that they beat the Orioles. Um, but when they're saying that both a Hindu and Aleister Crowley, who owns the Mets? Can you tell me who owns the Mets? Who owned them then? Hmm, let's see. Um, you're probably much better at this than I am. Uh, let's see. So if you go to just just go to the the Mets main um, Wikipedia page. Right, that's where I'm at. And th- and then they should have like a box on the right hand side, which will be like the key data. Do they have something like that? Mm-hmm. And then on there would probably on the bottom, I would think, would say owner. Yeah, right now it's Steve Cohen, principal head Cohen. hedge fund manager and owner of the New York Mets. Hmm. So uh, do they have a, do they, if you go up to like the, the table of contents listing of the Mets, does it say like history of owners or anything like that? I'd be curious to see who the owner was in 1969. Let's see. No, it doesn't, unfortunately. Oh, here it is. List of owners and executives. The first owner was George Martin Weiss from 1962 to 1966. And when the Mets won the series, it was John Murphy. Who's John Murphy? An all-American right-handed relief pitcher who later became a front office executive in the game. He was like a 40s era, 50s era baseball player. And he was able to buy the Mets? Johnny Murphy. Doesn't make sense. Doesn't. Oh, 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 I think I'm reading the general managers. I'm sorry. Yeah, that 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 sounds like a general manager. Sorry. So the first owner of the Mets from 62 to 75, uh, they had Joan Whitney Payson, an American heiress, businesswoman, philanthropist, and patron of the arts and art collector. A prominent member of the Whitney family, she co she was the co-founder and majority owner of the New York Mets. And then the next name is the co. It said she was a co-founder, right? But they don't have a, another name. They just have her, and then it goes to seventy-five to eighty is someone related to her, Charles okay. Shipman. Okay. So so I so one is like the co-founder, the missing co-founder. So I'm gonna. I'm going to make an assumption would be her husband, but um, it could be someone else. But all right, so will you click on her? Already there. Is her family? So the Whitney family, who are, who, who are the Whitney family? Is there a Whitney Museum? I think there's a Whitney Museum. Yeah, Whitney is, uh, let's see. She's a daughter of William Payne Whitney. She inherited a like fund from her grandfather, Will, grandfather William C. Whitney, an American political leader and financier and prominent descendant of the John Whitney family. Let's see who the John Whitney family is. The John Whitney family is an American family notable for their business enterprises, social prominence, wealth, and philanthropy, founded in... 19 or 1592 by John Whitney, who came from London, England to Watertown, Massachusetts. 
Their historic family mansion in Watertown is known as the Elms and was built for the Whitneys in 1710. Hmm. So... Will you go back will you go back to the lady, though? Yeah. She, and... she was a, a philanthropist and an art collector as well. That's what they say about her. Is there a Whitney Museum? Let's see. Eli, Eli Whitney is the big shot in New Haven history who invented the cotton gin. I don't know if he, he might be related to that. Hmm. Is there like a punch that you feel like is missing here? Like, is there like, yes, there's a uh, Whitney Museum of American Art. It's in New York City. So there was a guy, he, um, he, he drew these amazing murals of like government and business conspiracy connections. Hmm. You know what I'm talking about? Like he, and his artwork, like this is like in the nineties and what's his name? Um, you're gonna have to search, uh, uh, drawing conspiracy, nine eleven death. I'll know his name when I hear it. I want to say his first name's Mark. Mark Gaffney. No. Maybe. What is? What do you read about Mark Gaffney? Well, when I typed in drawing conspiracy nine eleven death, the fourth search re- or the third search result says top documentary films collected in research from investigators Michael Rupert, Mark Gaffney, and Kevin Ryan. So, no, no, no. that's not him. So, Are you talking about yeah, I, the guy who was an artist who died in the 9-11 uh, tower crash, but he had like a sculpture that he painted that was like, or a sculpture that he made that was like a, like a, a plane flying into his face or something and he was like in the no no so there was this guy and he way before the curve he would draw these amazing these amazing um diagrams or works of art and he would show like you know the bcci uh, you know what bcci is like the bank of whatever it's like part of like the um, like a big conspiracy with the um, bank of the Pope and all that sort of stuff. But he would diagram it out by hand, like with all the connections between all the people. And God, what is his name? It's it's Mark something or other, whatever. Um, it was one of the most interesting things of not... So if you did 9-11, Whitney Museum... Is it Mark Lombardi? Yes, Mark Lombardi. What does it say about Mark Lombardi? Mark Lombardi was an American neo-conceptual artist who specialized in drawings that document alleged financial and political frauds by power brokers and, in general, the uses and abuses of power. Lombardi was born in New York, just outside of Syracuse, New York. He is a major. He majored in art history at Syracuse University. Um, 
Later in his career, six years before his death, Lombardi switched to link analysis pencil diagrams of crime and conspiracy networks that he would become best known for. In the early 1990s, he began researching the many scandals of the time, including the BCCI scandal, the Harkin Energy scandal, and the savings and loan scandal. The thousands of index cards that he accumulated in the course of this research began to overwhelm his ability to deal with them and to cope. Mark began assembling them into physical outlines and then into handwritten diagrams. These were intended to be a tool to provide a focus to his work, but he soon decided that his method of combining text and image in a single field called a drawing diagram or flow chart really worked for me in other ways as well. The decision was spurred according to Lombardi while he was talking with a friend about one of his participants, one of the participants in the Iran-Contra scandal, Adnan Khashoggi. Regarding this conversation, Lombardi wrote, I began taking notes, then sketching out a simple tree chart showing the breakdown of Khashoggi's American holdings. Within days, I began making more of these charts depicting other corporate ne networks I had researched. So um, does it tell you, do you see where it says his death? In, let's see. They not say anything about his death. Yeah, they, they say, uh, let's see. In March 2000, on the day before his death, Lombardi moved all his work to Pierogi 2000. Uh, Pierogi 2000. In when did they say he died? March 2000, on the day before his death. Huh. He then bolted his apartment from the inside and hanged himself on the day before his birthday. And three years after... Before his birthday and three years after he had moved to Williamsburg, Brooklyn. And did they talk about his show at the Whitney Museum? Let's see. You do control F for find and then type in Whitney. Twenty of Lombardi's drawings are in the permanent collection of MoMA. Another ten of his drawings are at the Whitney Museum of American Art and were the subject of an FBI investigation after the September 11th attacks in 2001. That's all it says about the Whitney Museum. So there was, wow, it's been a long time since I thought about this, so we're going to go full circle with it. So, um... So that's why I bring this up because I went down this weird. Path you've brought you've brought him up to me before. I think like the maybe the first time I visited you in Millersville. Yeah, the guy is um, like he's well ahead of the curve. I was pretty certain he was found dead. Um, March twenty second, two thousand. Is what it 322. says. Three twenty two. Three twenty two. But I remember like all like you know this is your Mandela effect. I remember real clearly that the guy committed suicide. Was found committed suicide um, on nine eleven, and on the same, it was like just on the same day, like the Whitney Museum was going to show his his art. And so the thought was always like, why would the dude commit commit suicide when like the best, you know, his 
his dream came true. He was recognized in a, in a major museum. Um, so it's strange to hear that, but why the, the baseball, baseball connects real, um, really strongly to all to the, the, the Manhattan money to and particularly in the art world, because the founder of the baseball hall of fame, um, he was one of the founders or of, I think he was the Met, but he sat on the board of MoMA, or maybe it's the other way around, but, but that it's the same world. And the baseball hall, and this goes back to the Dakota Hotel in, um, or not hotel, apartment building, where Rosemary's Baby and, and John Lennon was assassinated. Rosemary's Baby was filmed there. Um, and so it always had a very strong ritualistic implication towards what happened to Lombardi at the Whitney and owning professional sports teams has long been, uh, you know, part and parcel for the money to leak. And they definitely owning the sports team and what you do with it is, has bigger implications than just purely like status and dollars and cents. Um, you know, there's, there's, there's a heavy duty ritual. So when just off the cuff, the guy's like, Oh yeah, the Aleister Crowley and ancient Hindu texts. Uh, I did a episode. I don't remember. I think I did in the last year, but I went, I went and relooked at baseball and I was looking at the diamond and seeing how the baseball diamond, re, uh, when you just look at it from a shape perspective of like, you know, where you have the, the square base, the squares of the bases and the circles that go around the squares, when they make the infield, all that sort of stuff. And you look at that, um, from a, a, a mandala perspective, like it looks like a lot of, um, it lines up with a whole bunch of, of, of specific Hindu mandalas to specific like gods or goddesses. And so, um, I mean, that's a little bit outside of my area of, of, of knowledge, but it seems very strange that that was mentioned that in Crowley and the, mm-hmm. and then the fact that it was this miracle Mets and they should have never won. And somehow they went, they won. And I don't know. So it says here, I found the page. It says, um, public and private baseball notes on the 1984 Mets with a retrospective of Met history. This piece is a retrospective on the New York Mets as I have followed them over the years, but grounded in the events of just past 1984 season, which was the other time they won the world series. If I had pursued even a small number of the other possible tracks in this narrative, it would have turned into an amorphous anecdotal book. As it is, the piece is filled with references to names and episodes that may be unfamiliar even to the ardent baseball fans. I suggest that the reader accept them as indigenous baseball chatter. I don't claim every single fact is right or that I have all my episodes in the right historical sequence. 
I have tried more for a meandering folktale than a baseball history. The dialogue is reconstructed from my notes, not from the precise tape-recorded materials, and I hope it carries the spirit, if not the letter, of the exchanges. In many of my older books, there are pieces about the Mets and other topics discussed in here, and the following can serve as an informal bibliography. And that's where there are a bunch of different other pieces that are referenced. And one, two, three, four, five, six. The sixth one says, Untitled Piece on the Mets, Winning Locker Room and the Subsequent Publicity in Book of the Cranberry Islands. It re-examines comments made by the players in the light of Hindu sacred texts and the writings of Aleister Crowley. And it satirizes the or satirizes the excessive sports writing about the Miracle Mets. So uh, that so it was it was done tongue in cheek. Is that what it's saying? I guess so. Yeah, comparatively, but mm. there is a sort of mystic sort of flavor to what he's saying altogether. Um, the other one that's kind of interesting, the second bibliography um, pieces or item in the big bibliography is the Southern cult of the New York Yankees in the IO Oceology issue, Mount Desert, Maine, 1970 and the continents page 85 through 90 written several months after the preceding piece. The Southern cult uses mostly Yankee history in comparing the archeology span of Southeastern American Indian artifacts with the strata of players in the formation of baseball teams. The Southern cult, which was attributed to the pre-Columbian Choctaw, Chickasaw, Creek, and Natchez, and neighboring tribes. It's interwoven with fragments of the New York Yankee dynasty of my childhood. So it is. It's, it doesn't sound like it's very non-fictional. It seems like these people are more, like this author is an anthropologist who's like kind of taking a synchromistic approach to his relationship with baseball and all the other things that go on in his life. Hmm. So I think you'll have an interesting conversation with him. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. I'm, I'm glad it kind of took us down this little tangent because, I, like I said, I wasn't sure if there was anything really that interesting in that book, but here we are now talking about Mark Lombardi, uh, who... I mean, I wouldn't even call that a Mandela effect, Mike. I think you're remembering the accurate history, and then somebody went in and, and changed it. Because it's weird that he was born on March 23rd, 1951, and then his death date is March 22nd, 2000. You remember it being uh, the day before 9-11, and I think that sounds more, you know, or, or more organic than this this seems a little manufactured quite honestly or like at least like what are the odds that somebody dies uh the day before their birthday you know and on 322 of all days when he's doing the type of work he's doing uh yeah well it was suicide they, they said he hung himself right yeah yeah i mean it it could have been an old wife there was a, uh, but he de he was definitely his artwork was at um, the Whitney on nine eleven, um, but it's there 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 feels like there's something going there there's there's a 
the the fact that the, the co-founder of the Mets was a Whitney, and, and she was, did it say she sat on the board of MoMA? Let's see. So, this she, is my favorite type of research, by the way. Like going in and seeing like the people and like where what boards they're on, and then like this is this is the most fun for me. So thank you for indulging this. Yeah, no, I I enjoy it too. I just uh, no, I don't think that she is. It doesn't reference her here, but it says that uh, she married Charles Shipman Payson. Uh, a lawyer and businessman who graduated from Yale and Harvard Law School. And when she died, he inherited the Mets from her. So, yeah, he might have been that unnamed co-founder, but um, her collections of art went to the Portland Museum of Art. Um, that's all it says about her relationship with the art world. It uh, said she has a very big collection. Let, let's do one last search and then we'll put this to bed. Um, just type in founders of the Mets. We like just search on that and see if we can find from another source who is the, uh, the co-founder. Mm. But he just got tired. Are you far from the lodge there? No, the lodge, I have to cross over Moon Creek, and then, and then I'll go in. All right. So when I type in founders of the Mets, it says... So... One of the Continental League's five charter men members was a team in New York City. Majority interest was held by Joan Whitney Payson and Charles Shipman Payson, former minority owners of the Giants. And the second largest stake was held by George Herbert Walker Jr., <laughs> uncle of President George H.W. Bush. <laughs> Wow. Okay, maybe that's why he wasn't listed. <laughs> huh. Wow. So he served as vice president and treasurer of the Mets until 1977. Um, the Walker family loves sports. Yeah. Because the Walker Cup is uh, in golf. Um, all right. I mean, we... Uh, I, I'm laughing. I'm like, I forgot how much fun doing 11 research uh, stuff like that can be. But um, we've been on the phone for two hours, and I think uh, after a long moving day, I'm ready to go and sleep deeply. I don't blame you. We'll end it here. Is there anything you want to tell the audience, the listeners, before we go, Mike? Um. What's cool is Gnome Countryside is an Airbnb. And, uh, you know, if there's any listeners who were thinking that we were interested, they could always go down and stay there. And then if that happens, then we could do some services together. We could do tours or starboard or anything like that. Um, I'm excited for that. 
for that possibility because I think that's going to be fun. Um, he's got a, a wood burning sauna, and we'll probably start doing. I'm one of the reasons I came down here so regularly is that I always go to the saunas, and so we'll probably do regular saunas down here. Um, if anyone's interested, they could just you know to know more about it, just send me a message and I can tell you about it. And uh, I think that's about it. Wonderful. Right on. Well, thank you folks for tuning in to your handbook for the apocalypse on the Susquehanna Alchemy podcast feed. Be sure to share the show with your friends. Tell them to start from episode one. Tell them to check out from the 40th parallel. That's all for now, folks. Thank you for being here and have a great moment wherever you are in the now.